Hey, this is Miss Alanette. Good morning and happy Sunday. This is All Things 805, connecting community, culture, and climate in Ventura County and beyond. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And um, whatever you're doing right now, I hope that you're on your way to having an amazing and blessed day. On this Sunday show, um, I'll be talking rent increases and tenants' rights with Sam and Ryan from the Ventura Tenants Union. Um, I met Sam out at an event and uh, he got on the mic and he just started talking about uh, what's going on in Ventura and the surrounding area and the state of California with rent increases. And um, we had some very interesting information and I wanted to have him on just so he could talk further and kind of get the 805 more informed about what is going on in the state of California as far as rent increases, especially in our county. Also on the show is Kimberly Kelly. She's the chapter president of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, the Ventura County chapter. And she is on with me today. We are talking about health and wellness in the African-American community. And also she's spreading the word about getting out and getting your COVID vaccine. Also, our 805 Music Spotlight is on Contra, local events and more all coming up on All Things 805. Keep it right here. This is All Things 805. I'm Miss Alanette, and um, on the phone line with me right now is Sam and Ryan from the Ventura Tenants Union. Hello, fellas. Hey, how's it going? I want you both to introduce yourselves, and then um, also tell me about the Ventura Tenants Union and what is your mission. My name is Sam, and I joined the Ventura Tenants Union a couple months ago. Uh, hello, I'm Ryan. I'm a, a worker in Ventura County and like Sam recently joined the Tenants Union maybe six, seven months ago. Okay, so tell me what is the Ventura Tenants Union? VTU is a, we're, we're a tenant organized coalition and we're fighting for basically tenants rights within Ventura County and with an eye on the rest of the state as well. So that means we're fighting for affordable housing, safe housing, reliable housing. And of course, when we talk about tenants and renters, we're not just talking about people who are are paying their rent. We also recognize the the houseless community, uh, the migrant community. Uh, Anybody who is not in a position to control their own housing is potentially at the whims of this asymmetrical situation of, of housing. And so VTU is looking to essentially build power by informing the community and providing a, a framework and a place to go and, and build that power to uh, fight back against these forces of gentrification and, and rising rent. Asymmetrical. <laughs> I mean, I know you're pretty much stating the obvious, but can you really state the obvious of what's going on with renters, pricing hikes, and what's going on in our county and not only the state of California in general? Basically, we understand uh, the relationship between tenants and renter to be one that is maybe not like personally antagonistic, but is sort of based off of, you know, uh, it's like inherent, inherently economic. And we've seen that sort of bear out in 
the last nine to 12 months since COVID hit, they're out in a way that um, has recently affected Ventura specifically on a, on a scale that is actually uh, notable within the country landscape. So Ventura's increase in rent over the past uh, 12 months, nine months, uh, went up something like 14%. The average in dollars went up $229 per uh, unit in Ventura. Do you think it was just like a snowballing effect, like uh, the Thomas fires came and then COVID hit? Do you think that the Thomas fires had anything, how that affected housing in Ventura? Do you think that had anything to do with it? Definitely. I think that any time in which conditions of displacement are created, whether it's the fire, whether it's the pandemic that we saw, it provides a financial opportunity for developers and landlords to purchase or rebuild housing in such a way where they can recuperate the the profits of their investment. Forces like the Thomas Fire and the pandemic accelerate this mechanism where developers and, and landlords purchase um more of the property and and increase rent as people are are forced out rather than needing to necessarily evict tenants uh, explicitly waiting for these these forces to make it unlivable for tenants and then using that window as an opportunity to essentially increase their foothold in in the housing market. I was, you know, looking around on your Instagram page, Ventura Tenants Union. You have a statistic up there that's saying over 16,000 households have accrued rent debt and almost 12,000 of those households are low income and they are holding on to about $62 million worth of debt. When COVID hit, there was a, obviously it affected basically everybody um, in the world and in the country and, and certainly in Ventura, you know, people's uh, work and incomes were frozen. And for a while, while everybody was kind of figuring it out, a lot of those people saw permanent uh, changes in their um, in their incomes and their job status. Um, and that affected their ability to pay rent on time and in full. This is nationally as, as well as in Ventura, but we really didn't see um, a wide scale rent or mortgage freeze, um, mm-hmm. although there were um, national and local campaigns to work in that direction. So what happened was tenants started to build up a like rent debt because uh, evictions were frozen um, for a time. So basically what that means is if a tenant wasn't able to pay rent, they were still not evicted from their property, um, which is something that is going we're going to see a change in soon. Um, but so they basically uh, racked up a bill. Some of the things that we've been working on um, locally is a national campaign for uh, like rent forgiveness. It's Mm -hmm. um, kind of a a tricky thing to navigate and a like very specific criteria to qualify for. So we've been helping some of our our neighbors in the community out with that. But um, but yeah, so basically there's a lot of people that are still sort of dealing with that um, reality. That landscape is going to change uh, again soon. Um, with the eviction moratorium coming to an end. We'll talk more about that rent relief campaign that you guys are working on. But what I wanted to talk about, the law was recently passed for rent relief. Now, what are the the pros and the cons and um, what's going on with that? So does it actually help tenants at this time? And give us a little bit of the lay of the land on what that rent relief and what that entails. The benefit of it is if you had a landlord 
that had a, a more sort of strict rule on evictions once the moratorium was lifted or if then they can apply for this. And if they're approved, then the state will actually help them with some sort of rent relief. And it works in a way that it sort of takes a percentage of what you owe. I mean, there were some drawbacks to it. Um, one of the uh, drawbacks was that you had to actually get your landlord to um, work with you to submit an application for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was good because it would forgive the renter, but um, it obviously took a lot of like collaboration with the landlord. Um, oftentimes the landlord isn't like, you know, living on, on site or nearby. They may have multiple properties. Um, it was just kind of a, a tricky thing to navigate, but we do know of a lot of success stories where people were able to get some of their, um, essentially their, their tab absolved mm. um, through the rent relief program. I was just going to say, Ryan, I, I really I liked what you had to say. And I think in the wake of this rent relief and with delayed payments to um, smaller landlords, many landlords are letting the leases on their buildings expire um, and then selling the property as a way to recoup on their initial investment. Mm-hmm. And with the lifting on eviction moratoriums, we're going to see an increase in vacancies in many of these buildings as tenants uh, will be unable to afford their current rent as well as the back payment. And we see uh, an influx of these kinds of uh, corporate landlords, larger uh, national property investment firms uh, purchasing these buildings because they have other assets that they can use to subsidize the short-term losses of these vacancies. Hmm. So Similar to after the the 2008 uh, market crash, we're seeing this uh, this exiting of the kind of like small landlord uh, relationships, which is is preferable to dealing with a, a large national conglomerate. But uh, at the end of the day, this rent relief effort doesn't seek to change the relationship uh, between landlord and tenant, which, as Ryan said at, at the at the top of the show, is is inherently uh, exploitative. And so this essentially uh, maintains the system through which uh, landlords will will extract uh, rent from from tenants. What would you have liked to see happen? Because ideally for me, when COVID hit and everyone was forced to stay home and no one can work, I would have liked to see the government go, hey, banks, freeze all mortgage payments it's kind of frustrating, you know, because like in the end, we mm-hmm. really want the government support and we would think that that's what they would do. They would go to the big banks that they bailed out in 2008 and say, hey, just go ahead and give them a break and tack the mortgages onto the end, point payments onto the end of the mortgage, right? Ideally, wouldn't that have been a good idea or am I wrong? I, ideally, yeah, that's, that's what we wanted and that's what we were asking for. And I mean, we very collectively, there was um, national campaigns asking, you know, Joe Biden to freeze all rent. We were asking for a, uh, a rent freeze and a mortgage freeze mm. um, because obviously um, it, it's tough to have one without the other. You touched on it. It needs to go all the way to the bank. But when you're asking for such a large collective uh, movement like that, it is hard to coordinate. Um, I don't know if you want to elaborate a little bit on that, Sam, but when, in moments of crisis like this and like in 2008, which Sam talked about a little bit, the, the balance is um, tipped in the favor of, you know, the people that held the power over something like living and, and rentals mm. in, in the beginning anyways. So when we saw something like this, it is it is the people that were closest in proximity to 
a precarious living situation that were affected the most, just kind of the way that the structure is set up. Uh, the people that were at the least amount of risk were the ones that were, uh, I guess, more secure. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Just to elaborate a little further, um, taking it all the way to the banks, that, that point of origin is very important, especially when we're dealing with our, our current system of housing allocation um, and the way that people obtain housing by, by paying rents is you have to um, relieve some of that pressure because uh, the landlords, in order to maintain ownership of that building at all, need to pay their, their mortgages. And um, rent relief, while still requiring back pay, means that we're simply uh, delaying the problem and can allow people to weather that storm of, of joblessness through the pandemic a little bit better um, but leaves them with a large bill on the other end. I want you to um, elaborate a little bit more on, you know, how the changes in our rent costs is now affecting our houseless community, because I'm sure we all are aware of what's going on. Absolutely. Folks who uh, previously could afford to pay their rent with their wages, it's getting harder and harder to do so. Uh, many people, in order to afford to live um, based off of their wage, are needing to live farther and farther from their place of work, spending more on transportation and with a sort of weak public transportation network are having to put their money towards gas and car repairs. And so as rents increase and as uh, gentrification accelerates in cities that uh, property owners have identified as lucrative investments, we see that uh, not only is rent more costly, but the cost of living has increased as well, which means that uh, the place, the places where people work and the places where people live uh, will become further and further apart. And of course, uh, as that gentrifying force expands outward from the city centers here in, in Ventura, we're seeing this is the, the remnants of the expansion from within Los Angeles City and, and Los Angeles County. We have rents increasing even in the places uh, which are far from the cities that people use to commute. And this pushes people out of housing because they are unable to afford their rent. So very simply, uh, keeping housing affordable reduces the am amount of folks who enter into that situation of houselessness which is a very difficult cycle to exit because of the, the laws that essentially criminalize being houseless, loitering laws, laws about uh, public urination. Increasing rents are another symptom of this, this system which pushes people further from their, their place of work and, uh, and eventually out of their houses entirely. Uh, rent and, and or just like, I guess, shelter in general, somewhere to live is like is principal need for most people. Um, it's up there um, with, you know, healthcare and clothing and education and whatever else. But it's also like in terms of, you know, economic need, it, it's, it's very constant, right? Like mm -hmm. I might not need to go to the doctor every month, but I need to pay rent on the first every single month. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a constant. And what that means is um, if your rent costs go up or your earnings go down or you move somewhere more expensive or whatever it may be, it just means that you have to sort of trim the fat away from other things that are um, either necessary or not, but it does put um, our neighbors closer to 
precariousness and, and danger of, of one day not being able to afford that. Um, mm -hmm. And that is, I mean, it's urgent now and I'm glad we're talking about it now. And, you know, um, talking with your listeners now and you, it's, it's, um, it's important because Ventura was the fourth highest increase from uh, March 2020 to March 2021 in mm. terms of um, rent increase. So it's going to affect people that we know ourselves and in and, and various ways, but definitely going to be something that we have to navigate. And we haven't really seen our uh, property owners and landlords um, affected the same way that our tenants have um, and, and another way to put it is that sort of burden has not been shared around evenly. Mm. I was recently living in Sacramento. You know, I'm not too um, familiar with that recent uh, um, law that was passed for rent control. Was that something that was countywide? Because I know I was in Sacramento for a while and there was something going around about a rent um a rent control bill that was going on. I don't know if that was countywide or if it was like local government that was going on, but did we have anything like that in Ventura County at all? Usually it's certain buildings will have rent control or mm. certain rental uh, properties will, will offer it. Um, it's definitely something that we want to take a look at here. The only other rent control uh, that I heard about was of course the statewide proposition mm -hmm. Um which would have given local governments the ability to enact rent control mm -hmm. on housing that I believe was at, at least 15 years old. That, that was voted down most recently, but that would have granted uh, a local government that, that power. Darn people. We got to get informed. We got to get out and vote for these things, you know? Right. That's something that's we very... Union union power. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Tell me about this movement that you guys are going on for countywide rent relief. What is this movement that you're working on right now? Yeah, it's still something that we are, that we're still looking to learn a little bit more about. Obviously, having rent control is huge. I mean, huge in Ventura. It's gone up $229 on average in a year where uh, people are having a lot of other economic hardships. It's that a are hard whole to deal with. pandemic so, going on. How do you increase right. rent during a pandemic? It's like so mm -hmm. like irresponsible, like as good people. This is not good. It's not how we yeah. treat each other as a community, right? Yeah. I mean, basically what, what we've seen happening and just uh, there's a lot of moving and shaking that people are doing um, just in terms of where they've decided to live in the last 12 months because it is now uh, less necessary to live in Silicon Valley if you work for like a big tech company, for example, because a lot of companies are moving to remote work. So mm -hmm. um, if you can not have to pay Silicon Valley rent or Los Angeles rent or New York City rent, but still earn a New York City salary, you might as well move to Ventura or wherever else. We have seen... Um, you know, vacancies increase in places like uh, like the more expensive places to live during the pandemic. And a lot of places became vacant after that happened because, you know, people would move in with their parents or they'd move somewhere else or they'd move into their friend's house or whatever just to like save a few bucks. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, it would just like kind of logically follow that landlords would maybe like reduce their rent to incentivize renters to scoop up those places. But that's not really what, what we saw. Um, we know in like in some places rent has gone up 33% basically like overnight, like people have walked up and, and seen uh, a letter on their door that says like you have four days to, to decide if you're going to, you know, pay the 33% increase in rent mm -hmm. uh, moving forward and let us know right away. Thanks. You know, it's like that, that puts a lot of pressure on people. And, and in that scenario, a lot of people will just choose to do something that's like cheaper and easier while they figure it out. But while they do that, the sort of 
tide of, of rent prices, you know, goes up and it doesn't look like it's going to go back down. I mean, rent control is definitely something that we're going to focus on. Um, and we're also just focusing on making sure that people are, that are still currently in the places that they live get to stay there. So thank you so much, Sam and Ryan, Ventura Tenants Union. And please give out how people can get in contact with you, get connected with you, and find out, find out more information about what you're doing for the community and giving us all an opportunity to have safe and affordable housing. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the, the best way to get in contact with us um, is to um, go to our Instagram page, actually. It's just kind of the way everybody communicates now. So um, go there to kind of see what we're talking about. I'm, I'm glad that you got a chance to check out our, our page and see a little bit of what we're working on. Um, we're going to get more active. Um, if you want to join uh, the Tens Union and start working with us, please reach out. Uh, we are, um, you know, on, onboarding new members. Um, we want to know um, what kind of situation you're dealing with, um, where you live and how we can help and how we can help your neighbors. Um, and um, a good thing to do before uh, you even reach out to us, although it's not necessary, is, um, you know, meet your neighbors. Um, go knock on their door and, and introduce yourself if you don't already know them. I know that it's kind of like a not as common of a thing in, in America and in, in California um, to meet and know your neighbors, but ask them what they're dealing with. And, and oftentimes you'll, you'll find that, um, you know, it's uh, a lot of similar issues. Um, but, um, yeah, we're, we're much stronger together and connected, um, and we can get a lot more done when we're working together. Um, and just before we go, I know, I know Sam will have something to say about it as well. Um, please go to our page and, um, we are, um, working really hard right now to uh, push a campaign for, um, one of our neighbors in the community, uh, Liz Campos, who's, um, facing a, a very precarious situation, um, with, um, eviction. And we are trying to, um, raise money, um, to be able to, um, find somewhere for her to live, um, right now so please go check that out it's something that we're you know um, putting a lot of time and energy into um one of our members just made a, a really uh touching uh video interview with with liz i really recommend you go check it out but um, i want to boost that as much as we can because it's really important to us right now so um i know sam will want to add on to that but yeah take it away yeah absolutely um everything ryan said page is the best way uh, instagram page is the best way to get in touch with us and we're always looking to stand in solidarity with uh, organizations and folks who are fighting for tenants' rights. And um, if you want to get involved in any capacity or just want to reach out to us and, and ask for some resources about um, the, the, the law and the, um, uh, the methods behind standing uh, together to protect tenants' rights, and you know, we, we want to be that resource for the community. Yeah, we, uh, we, we really appreciate um, this time, Elena. Thank you. Well, thank you both so much. And if you want to reach out to them on Instagram, that's the best way to get a hold of them. It's at Ventura Tenants Union. Also, they have an email, VenturaTenantsUnion at gmail.com. Send them an email or, again, follow them at Ventura Tenants Union on Instagram for more information about how you can get involved to um, – basically know your rights as a Ventura County tenant and um, to help people build this community and to uh, stay strong and, and stay in this community if possible. Okay. Thank you so much, mm -hmm. Sam and Ryan from the Ventura Tenants Union. You guys have a blessed Thank you, Elena. All right.
I'm Miss Alanette, and this is All Things 805. I got to do a rundown of the community calendar. Just a few events that are going on in Ventura County and beyond. First and foremost, showing some love to the East Side Little League, whose Path to Success Education Fair will be starting shortly today at Colonial Park. It's from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. They're promoting education, creating opportunity, and supplying resources to our city's youth. Hope to see you out there. 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Colonial Park. Saturday, August 14th in downtown Santa Paula is hosting the downtown Santa Paula open market from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. between 8th and Davis streets on Saturday, August 14th. Lots of vendors, food, music, fun, and more. For more information, check that out on their Instagram page at Santa Paula Street Festival. And mark your calendars for Wednesday, August 18th because the Ventura County Fire Department is putting on a blood drive from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Now, this is very important. You can possibly save a life with your blood donation. For more information on the Ventura County Fire Department blood drive, you can contact Crystal Stratton by sending her an email at crystal.stratton at ventura.org. And that's just a few events that are going on in Ventura County. We'll be back with more All Things 805. Salonette, and this is All Things 805, and I'm bringing you all things that involve every parts of the community. On the phone lines with me right now is the chapter president of the Ventura County chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Kimberly Kelly. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm doing well. I wanted you to talk a little bit, you know, give a brief introduction about yourself and the work that you do with Delta uh, Sigma Theta. Well, again, I'm Kimberly Kelly, and I'm the chapter president for the Ventura County alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And uh, Delta Sigma Theta, it was founded in 1913 on the campus of Howard University. And we are a service organization. And and our first public act was to march in the suffrage march in 1913. So we've been doing that sort of work since then. And the Ventura County Alumni Chapter has been in the community since 1980. So we, we are dedicated to the work. We're dedicated to our people. We're dedicated to our community. And anything that we can do, we want to be there to be able to do. So we're all hands on deck at any time. Anytime someone in the community needs us, we're available. So for people that don't really know, um, I guess I can run this down a little bit because, you know, people aren't really familiar with um, what historically black colleges and universities are. This sorority was founded on the campus of a historically black university, Howard University, that's in the middle of Mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. So um, this is, say, I would say like traditionally a uh, black sorority or African-American sorority, traditionally, Mm -hmm. yes. Mm So, yes, we don't discriminate. However, we, we service the black community. So if there are others who'd like to join us in our mission of, you know, helping the black community, we welcome that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a predominantly black, you know, college educated women's organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, committed um, to public I mean, yeah. there, there is no discrimination. Um, this is just something that was basically founded out of a need. Right. And additionally, Miss Alanette, the colleges then didn't accept black people. That's right. And so there were no organizations for us to do this type of work. 
we weren't welcome in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And so we had to create those colleges and universities and we had to create these organizations to fill our needs. So it was built out of necessity. Right. So um, tell me a little bit about the work that Delta Sigma Theta is doing in the Ventura County area. Uh, Well, currently, one of the biggest things that we're doing right now, um, we're working in collaboration with the Ventura County Community Foundation, BCCF, and helping to get the word out about the COVID vaccine. Um, But we have other programs that we also work on throughout our sorority year. And those hit five of our major um, programmatic thrusts, political awareness and involvement, physical and mental health educational awareness, international awareness. We're constantly doing work in all of the various areas, but right now we're focusing on our physical health Mm -hmm. in terms of this uh, pandemic that we are still in. You know, we're hoping that that it was going to be um, starting to diminish a little bit, and now we have the Delta variant Mm -hmm. that seems like those numbers are starting to come back up, and we don't have enough people vaccinated yet, Mm -hmm. but we do know that, you know, the African-American community, um, many of us anyway, not everyone, but many of us have lots of reservations about being vaccinated for various reasons, because we don't trust the healthcare system, because of the historical um, issues that happened in the past and, and those sort of things. Um, but right now, the virus uh, tends to, to impact us more negatively and to a larger degree in terms of numbers than other communities. And so it's very important for our communities to get vaccinated because we don't want to lose any more people. Mm-hmm. We don't want any more people to, to become ill, even if we don't die from the virus. We don't want anyone to, uh, to contract the virus. Many people say, you know, we don't know what's in the vaccine. We don't know, um, you know, the vaccine was developed too quickly, which isn't actually true. Um, I think the people who work in those spaces do know that the vaccine has been in the works for longer than laypersons knew about it. So it seems like it's brand new, but it isn't. What we are starting to learn is that the virus, those people who have um, at some point contracted COVID-19, even if they didn't get very sick, the virus is starting to um, cause some longer term uh, effects in their bodies that we don't even know the full scope up quite yet. Mm -hmm. Many say that they don't, they don't want the vaccine in their body, but truly we don't want that virus in our body either because we don't have any idea what that's going to look like for us in terms of our health, even, you know, weeks, months, or years from now, we have no idea. Mm -hmm. You spoke briefly about the stigmas surrounding the African American community and um, our reluctance <laughs> to uh, uh-huh. um, get uh, vaccinated or to trust the health care system at all. Uh-huh. Um, why do you think that is so prevalent in the black community? In a word, I would say racism. Mm. It may not be overt, kind of in your face sort of racism, but healthcare provider is a human first. Mm. And we all have our own experiences. We all have our backgrounds and the way we grew up and that sort of thing. So all those things impact the way that we look at others, uh, care for others. And even when it's not deliberate, some of those things do come through in, in the uh, way of those implicit biases 
And so healthcare providers are not immune to that. And so I don't think that we always get the care that we are supposed to get. And it may be intentional on some individual parts, but I think for the most part, there's many of those implicit biases some people do have and that is interpreted in their care that they provide or lack of care sometimes that they provide. That's a lot to process there. It's heavy, isn't it? But, you know, especially being a black woman, having to navigate the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And it's difficult to convince someone who doesn't think they're doing anything to you or they, they think that they are giving you the level of care that you're supposed to get. But you know, as the patient, you know, your body, mm. you know, that you're not just making it up. So we know, and it's hard to convince someone else who thinks that they are not doing those negative racist sorts of things that this is not the level of care I'm supposed to get. I, I've just been in the healthcare system a lot lately, dealing with my mother who has been mm-hmm. ill. The things that I have been through and seen, but yeah. completely what you're saying, I have experienced it firsthand, just the fact of the black woman being seen as this yeah. strong being. And, mm-hmm. um, or, Absolutely. you know, sometimes they just don't even believe um, right. that we're even experiencing any kind of discomfort Absolutely. or pain, or they don't want to believe us. Or, or I don't know why mm-hmm. if we're making it up. They just don't believe what we say when we say it, you know, like, this is wrong with me. Please believe me. Please help me. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of dismissed. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> and there, there is, Michelle, and there is a historical basis for that mindset, mm-hmm. um, I, I can't recall the, the year, um, but the father of gynecology, and his name escapes me right now, but, but they would be doing gynecological procedures on black women who were enslaved individuals with no anesthesia whatsoever because they thought that we didn't feel pain. And what came of that was, you know, here are these professionals, I'm, and I'm doing air quotes, uh, these medical professionals who are doing this sort of torture on these enslaved women. And, you know, they they're, they later put their research together. And so it's now in books and it's in written form. And then people who were studying medicine beyond that point are reading the work of these individuals as research, as fact. As fact. And so that mindset just passes on down. It doesn't benefit us at all. Uh no, it's actually quite infuriating. <laughs> yes. And that's why we have to be our own advocate. You know, we have to do our own research sometimes when we go in, mm-hmm. you know, and some sometimes even that's not enough. You know, we know of the one African American physician who did have COVID and, you know, she was telling the staff, you know, I'm I'm not getting the care I need and this is what I need because I'm a doctor and I would know. Mm-hmm. And she later died. So sometimes even that isn't enough. So we have to just be persistent, diligent, and loud if we have to be. Mm-hmm. Your organization actually got a grant to mm-hmm. promote um, the vaccine in the African American community. So um, yeah. how did how did you go about getting funding for that? That's amazing. So we located um, through the Ventura County Community Foundation. Uh, they were working on getting the word out to the entire community. Mm-hmm. And um, so we decided that we would apply. I think when we applied, and the application process is not difficult. So many people think that this is going to be, you know, 
time-consuming, very hard to do, and it isn't. Um, it, it just requires that you do it. So it was a very simple process. The way that we obtained this grant was that we really laser-focused where we would like to help the foundation to get the word out. Mm-hmm. And our community of African-Americans is very small in Ventura County. Um, so I would say we're probably less than 2% of the population. And we often get overlooked because we're so small. We're kind of invisible. So it's, for us, it's a no-brainer that we would select our own group of people who are typically invisible to get the word out to our own folks. Um, now, and this is just critically, so critically important. And um, and another thing I did want to mention, Ms. Alanette, about our community specifically, nationwide, I would say, there are so many pockets of African-American communities where there's limited transportation, limited resources, and all of those sorts of things. And often there are people who do want the vaccine and they can't get to it. You know, just logistically, they mm-hmm. may not have the the money, transportation, that sort of thing, to be able to go to a site two times, you know, to go and get something that could protect them and their families. So that is also part of it. We want to be able to at least have them hear from us, people that they may trust a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, to understand the importance of doing it, you know. And if we are in some of these circles, we're hopefully, you know, reaching out to churches, and places where we gather so that we can find these people who may have some difficulties in um, accessing the vaccine. If, if that's an issue, we're here to see how we can help to solve that as an obstacle for that individual or that family. So um, let's play a little game. <laughs> okay. Miss Allenette is devil's advocate. Okay. okay. <laughs> so what would you say, Allenette comes to you and says, well, I heard that people that have the vaccine can still get COVID. Why do I keep hearing about that in the news? Why? Okay. Well, I would say that whoever shared that with you did not lead you astray. And that is because the vaccines, they don't make you 100% immune. Mm -hmm. For example, the Pfizer vaccine gives you about 94 to 96 percent immunity so there might be a four to six percent chance that you could still contract it Mm -hmm. but if you were to contract it you would be less ill than if you did not receive the vaccine good answer good answer (laughs) no no we're on family feud good answer good answer okay so i heard that there are some side effects that come along with getting the vaccine and i'm scared of that I heard that there's blood clots or people having heart swelling. What should I do? I'm kind of scared to get it. So I would say to you that at this point, there are millions of people who have had both um, both doses, the vaccine, the Moderna or the Pfizer, or the one dose of the Johnson & Johnson, and have had, there, there's such a, small population of people who've had any serious side effects you could rest your fears there mm-hmm. um the typical side effects that one might um, experience would be obviously the pain at the injection site when you have you know from where you got the shot um and that might last a day to two days you might feel a little lethargic 
But aside from that, that seems to be the typical range of side effects that most people have experienced. So I wouldn't, wouldn't tell you there's a guarantee that you wouldn't feel something else. Um, but it's such a small percentage of people who have had anything at all serious that the um, short-term discomfort that you might experience from having had a shot in your arm far outweighs the risk of contracting COVID-19 if you haven't been vaccinated. Mm. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. <laughs> I wish I had a round of applause, a little button I could do. Just good answer. Good answer. Okay. Um, so, Kim Kelly, I heard this is not even approved by the FDA. So it's a big old experiment. So black people have always been kind of the guinea pig. So should I do that again? What do you say about that? Okay. So what I would say to that is the first individuals who were given the vaccine were healthcare providers. And it is highly unlikely that there is going to be a conspiracy where anyone is going to take out the people who take care of everyone else. Mm. So I would say you could probably rest your fears there too. Good answer. Good answer. (laughs) Okay, Kim Kelly, one last devil advocate question. Okay, yes ma'am. Why, if you have the vaccine and you're okay, why is it so important that I get the vaccine so your vaccine works better? That's just a question. Okay, that's a really good question. And I know a lot of people have that as a question. And what I would say to you regarding that question is that we have many people in our lives who cannot get vaccinated. So I am vaccinated. And I'll also share with you, I'm a school nurse. I'm a registered nurse. And I'm a school nurse. Mm. And I work in elementary schools, and I work in a middle school. My middle schoolers can now get vaccinated, but my littlest students cannot yet because the vaccine has only been approved from age 12 and above. So my youngest students can't get the vaccine yet. So I am vaccinating myself so that I can be safe and these students can be safe around me because they can't be vaccinated yet. And we want them all in school, but we want them there safely. Mm. But we also have, you know, um, members of our family who may have, um, you know, immune uh, compromised systems or, you know, some, some, for some reason they are not able to be vaccinated. I want to protect my community in addition to myself. Mm. I, I really enjoy that 6% window. I like the 94 to 96%. I'm, I'm likely not to contract COVID. Mm. from my own personal self. But in addition to that, I think I have a responsibility to my community as well. You know, and many people are expecting herd immunity, but that means more people have to be vaccinated in order for us to reach herd immunity. And that's, you know, the spot where people can say, well, I, I have a choice and I have rights not to get it, but we're not quite at that spot yet with these numbers still rising. Mm. You know, so I am participating in the herd immunity part and someone else at some point will benefit from my being vaccinated. Good answer. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) 
Oh, thank you so much, um, Kimberly Kelly. She is the chapter president of the Ventura County uh, Alumni uh, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated right here in Ventura County. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, kind of taking away some of the stigmas that we have regarding um, the vaccine. Since that your organization is doing the work Um, How can people contact you if they need more information or if they want to get involved with spreading the word or any of the other work that your um, Delta Sigma Theta is doing in our community? Or if they are one of those marginalized people that happens to be listening right now and would like more information about the vaccine, how can they contact you? They can reach us at our chapter website at dsptac.org. And would you like to add anything else? Uh, Well, let me add one thing before we uh, leave the topic. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I'm a nurse, I had reservations at first, too. Mm -hmm. And many healthcare professionals did, too. And what it honestly took for me personally was to hear from my own people to say, okay, here's here's what this is. Here's how it works. Here's what's going to happen. And, you know, that it's been in the work. Even for me, it took a little bit of convincing. Mm. But the more that I thought about it, I realized that I needed to do it for my own personal health, but also for those around me. So I would like to give a shout out to my chapter members um, of the Ventura County alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Sorority Incorporated and to the rest of my Divine Nine family. This is this has been great. Oh. Thank you so much for letting us get the word out about the COVID-19 vaccine. And thank you for your time, Kimberly Kelly. I want to say thank you for, you know, your service as a healthcare provider, because representation means everything to people in the black community. I went 45 years before I actually had a black doctor. Wow. That is way too long. It is too long. It is way too long. I want to thank you for that, going through your schooling and, you know, and and using your voice to to help our community. I really appreciate you. Most definitely. Yes. Um, One more time, your website for people to get in contact with you? Is dstvcac.org. Thank you so much. Uh, Kimberly. Thank you. And we'll be back with more on all things 805, part of the Allen Network. I'm Miss Alanette. This is All Things 805, part of the Allen Network, and it's time for our 805 Music Spotlight, shining some light on local musicians and talents from all over the 805. Today, showcasing talent from Contra, a.k.a. Cap K. Mantis. Not only is he an incredible lyricist from Satakoy, California, but I have to show some love to Contra for all the things that he's doing for music in the 805, as well as building community and fighting for the rights of our people. You might have heard about Contra from his 805 Live show and his 805 Live Humanity Project, which he runs with his wife, Wildflower Jess. They sent me a couple of songs, but hey, I'm Miss Alanette, and I get to pick which one I like. So from Contra, here's In Time Paradigm. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
I'm feeling that I got the rarest mind Look up inside if you care to find Lyrics that'll shift this paradigm Before the point you waiting for bread in line For the streets of SoCal We'll run to the jail cell streets of Palestine They plan this change, don't doubt the crimes There's something that's strange about this time I mean we march the street Then knowing you're voting your heart for peace But the police always starting to beat Beat down, tear gas, sparking heat I ain't waiting till I'm starving to eat or waiting to push a cart in the streets I make blatant statements, illustrated paintings, bombing the streets, marking the beast My oath a long time ago to spread the message with a rhyme and flow As long as I see y'all blinded though, I'm true till it's doing our time to go It's too deep to imagine it when you lust and chips and slick lavish whips Pride of chicks and big status Product of this establishment It's all in your mind and your mental debating and invasion Thinking you defending the nation, campaign game, misinformation Sense of the station, centralization Centralization Yeah, every time I tear the mic, I speak the truth, but y'all scared of light. Rather just stand there staring right. Where's the leaders? Everywhere in sight. Everybody's got a part to play. I learned so I move more smart today. The words can make you target break and stop or delay what your heart would say. Wars in Wall Street, all the crime. I'm watching this world and all the time. Knowing our freedom's on the line. The show's another reason I'm on the grind. I mean, look at all the signs. My profits all this time. When truth is protected by ruthless aggressive, body guard lies. So I'm spitting, letting the dark fly global. Apartheid brought to you apart by capitalistic, cannibalistic, creating chaos and take it, they fix it. Campaign promise, later they switch it. Burn buildings, think terrorists did it. Making beans from crack to caffeine. Unleash the virus, force vaccines. Dividing, conquer nations, brush by wars, keep armies, spaces, sterilization, for copulation, and mason plots for the population. Population, population. And that was End Time Paradigm from local music artist Contra, a.k.a. Cap K Mantis. I want to say thank you to our guests, Sam and Ryan from the Ventura Tenants Union, for coming on with us. And also Kimberly Kelly, chapter president of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And I'll be back next Sunday here on this station. Make sure you're listening to get connected with community, culture, and climate. All Things 805, part of the Allen Network.